Thank you, ladies. Great thought. Song. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 517. Isaiah chapter 5. A few weeks ago on Sunday mornings, we started a uh, lengthy series on great texts in the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, and the gospel of John. Uh, though it might uh, bog some of you down, I picked 42 texts from Isaiah, 28 from Jeremiah, and 70 from the Gospel of John to uh, try to give us a flavor of those great books, and I believe the Lord has something to say through them. I know many of you will read the Gospel of John, but far fewer of you will bother to muddle through Isaiah and Jeremiah, and I uh, believe all Scripture is given <laughs> by inspiration I believe it's all profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I believe all the ensamples in the scripture are given for admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so there's something good for all of us in every part of the scriptures. Last Sunday morning, we talked about how ignorance does not bring bliss, it brings pain. And we looked at a couple of things that Isaiah warned people about of his day and made application to us in our day. He warned them about drunkenness. And we saw the oft-repeated New Testament admonition to be sober. Our Creator wants our thinking to be clear instead of hindered or influenced by outside substances. Isaiah warned them about ignorance. The knowledge of God and life that was available to them that they chose to ignore. And he warned them that Choosing to remain ignorant of the things of God would bring them pain and sorrow and distress in their future. And we closed thanking God for the availability of knowledge of our Creator and that how wonderful it is that we can learn of the Lord Jesus Christ, have rest to our souls by learning of Him and taking His yoke upon us in this life. Everything that is in this book God chose to inspire and preserve every word matters. I didn't say I understand why every word is in there. I said every word matters. But that being the case, there are also certain places where there are mountain peaks, if you would, of truth, truths that are especially applicable, truths that are especially important to us today, living about 1,900 years after the New Testament closed and about 2,700 years after the great prophet Isaiah laid down his quill. One of the warnings in the Bible is the phrase, woe unto them. And following that phrase is something our Creator warns us about. I mean, loving parents warn their children about a hot stove, a busy street, the stairs, eating too much candy. I mean, children don't understand the dangers of those things, uh, but parents, because they love them, they warn them. God, in like manner, warns the world about some things, and he also warns his people about some things, things that those who are wise would choose to leave alone so that we would have less pain and less sorrow and less strife and distress in a world filled with those things. Jesus solemnly warned his disciples and Judas when he said, the Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is 
betrayed. He solemnly warned those who were rich in life, but not rich toward God, when he said, Woe unto you who are rich, for ye have your consolation. He solemnly warned his disciples about failing to communicate the difficult parts of his message. When he said, Woe unto you, when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers the false prophets. See, Jesus loved the world, and he not only died for the world, he loved the world enough to warn the world about some things that would bring sorrow and pain and distress in their future if they didn't change some things that needed to be changed in their life. People who were wise, people who had faith, they listened to them. People who were not wise, people who did not have faith, they ignored his warnings and went on to live the pain and sorrow and distress. He warned them about As I said last week, in one sermon, Isaiah warned those who heard him six times about something in their future if they didn't repent. I'm told that when Franklin Roosevelt was the president of the United States, like other presidents, he had a lot of different receptions at the White House, and during these receptions, people would line up to meet him, shake his hand, and he became convinced that as People went through the line. They literally were not paying any attention whatsoever to what he had to say. He decided to have a little experiment. When they shook his hand, he said, how do you do? I murdered my grandmother this morning. Like he expected, people would say things like, how lovely. Oh, you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. But there was one person who was listening, and He didn't really want to be offensive, but when President Roosevelt said that, he said, yes, Mr. President, and I'm sure she had it coming. There are a lot of things people say that we mostly ignore. But when our Creator warns us about something, you and I would be wise and far better off to pay attention to what He is saying. I wonder what else God, through Isaiah, is going to warn us about. If you're able to stand, if you would stand this morning, please, in honor of God's word. title of my thought is, A Rose by Any Other Name Would Smell as Sweet. A Rose by Any Other Name Would Smell as Sweet. And you know the good thing about having your voice bad is out of my Duke Cup, who have now lost two in a row, I have Mountain Dew this week. It's good for your voice. It's good for your mind. It's great for your body. And so I need a sip. You water drinkers, I don't know how you do it. A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Isaiah chapter 5. In verse 20, we read these words. Isaiah 5, 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. 
which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Thank you. You might be seated. Now, most of us do not appreciate being warned when we've already decided we want to do something. But those who are wise pay attention to who is warning us, what they're warning us about to decide whether we want to give heed or take heed to what they're warning us about or just to continue doing what we're planning to do anyway. Uh, Allegedly, there are over 28 million Americans who smoke cigarettes. Uh, Despite that habit, if it's a a one-pack-a-day habit, costing over $13,000 a year, and a warning label that says things like, smoking seriously harms you and others around you. That clear warning does not stop 28 million American smokers. Though I don't smoke and wish those who did would take better care of themselves and their future, there are more perilous warnings that we can ignore to our own destruction than those that are on cigarette cartons. See, because of our fallen nature and our rebellious heart, uh, for the most part, we think that when we're warned, bad things are only going to happen to other people. That's why we don't listen to them. And though there are certainly warnings that can be overdone and things that we're warned about that are silly and inconsequential, when our Creator warns us about something, we'd be far better off to take heed to His warning. In fact, Jesus said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Fear him who, after he hath killed, can cast the soul into hell. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus said that. And though Isaiah's warnings uh, did impact people's lives here and now, I hope you understand, his warnings also impacted the souls of those who heard him. Every human being has an eternal soul. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, you have an eternal soul. When you take your last breath, when the brain waves go flat, uh, you will not cease to exist. We are made in the image of an eternal creator. We have an eternal soul. And so Isaiah, he begins here by warning people about calling behavior and viewpoints by names that are different than our Creator calls them in verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Listen, it's a big deal to God to describe something He calls evil as being normal or something He calls evil as being good. Listen, it is equally bad in his sight to call something sinful that he's called good. It's a big deal to God for someone to call something good, he's called bad. So call something darkness, he's called light. You see, people with a biblical worldview uh, look at events and behaviors and choices much differently than our culture, which is a post-Christian Christian culture looks at them. By and large, our culture has rejected their creator. They've rejected Judeo-Christian values. They've rejected the value, the the, the Bible. Uh, By and large, they're not going to look at things like we do. And so it is going to take real courage and faith in our culture to call good what our God has called good, to call light what our God has called light, 
to call evil what our God has called evil. Listen, in our culture, it's courageous to come out of the closet. And if you speak up and say something to the fact that you believe that that would be a sinful moral choice, listen, our world is going to applaud them and pat them on the back, and they're going to criticize you. They don't call good what God calls good. They do not call evil what God calls evil. You and I, and it's a big deal to God, to call things what he calls them. By the way, I hope you'll decide to be someone who calls things what our creator calls them. To call what he calls good, good, and to call what he calls evil, evil. Notice then, he warns people about having too high of an estimation of our own intelligence and wisdom. In verse 21, warn to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Truth of the matter is, is probably everybody here this morning uh, is doing right in their own eyes. And everybody here this morning, you're doing good in your own sight. That, that is a key phrase in the Bible, in our own eyes. You see, during the days of the judges, immediately following the death of Joshua, the, the Bible describes every man, quote, as doing right in his own sight. They were not doing what was wrong to them. They were doing what was wrong to God. And it created all kinds of confusion and trouble, even though they were doing right in their own eyes. And though we know there are people who are smarter and better than we are, in our heart, we pretty much think we know everything. That's why some of us don't listen to anybody. That's why people all over this room, uh, you know you're not great at money, but you never ask anybody who's good at money before you make a financial decision. You know you, 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 know, you know very little about the job market and uh, careers and either a skilled field or some uh, office environment. You, you know that you know very little about them, but you don't ever ask anybody anything because you know. In your own eyes, you're an expert. Pretty hard to find a teenager who honestly considers their parents' warnings in light of their parents knowing more about life than they do. Did I hear a bunch of teenage amens? Pretty hard to find a young adult who actually faces up to the fact that they don't know as much about marriage and raising children as people who have actually successfully done those things. That's why they don't listen to anybody or ask. Pretty hard to find an older person who thinks someone half their age might know more than they do about something. That's why they don't ask. Because in their own eyes, no one knows any more about everything than they do. And by, by the way, listen, you can live a long time and still know very little. Uh, most of us could make a list. Exhibit one. And we're warned here, as well as in other places in the Bible, about thinking too highly of ourselves. Thinking too highly about what we know and don't know. Thinking too highly of our own prudence. Prudence is a word that talks about living well. To live prudently is to live well, as God would describe living well. 
By the way, one of the reasons people are quick to judge and condemn someone on one little piece of information is they think they know everything. And really what you know is this much. You see a snapshot and you think you understand the video. So why, why, why do I do that? Why do people do that? They think they know more than they really know. By the way, that's nothing new. One of the reasons people don't talk to someone about the Bible who might actually know something is they don't want their thoughts and their belief systems or their behavior to be brought in the light of the Scriptures. They would rather keep them in the darkness of their own mind. Say, Brother Wally, you preaching to me? Well, if you don't listen to any advice, you think you know more than everybody I am. Just like Isaiah did. I'm not implying I'm an Isaiah. I'm implying I'm preaching what Isaiah preached. Listen, it's way easier to do right in our own eyes than it is to find out what our Creator has told us and do right in His eyes. This morning, I hope you'll decide to be someone who honestly faces up to what you really know and don't know. See, if you and I think too little of what we know, we'll be too sheepish to ever speak up or do anything. If you and I think too highly of what we know, then we'll become proud, and the result of being too proud is always a fall. He closes Isaiah, then these warnings out with another warning about alcohol and handling people differently than God does. In verses 22 and 23, he says, Warn to them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteousness of the righteous from him. Now, we talked in some detail last week about the biblical warning of drunkenness from verse 11 in the same sermon where he said, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink that continue until night till wine inflame them. And to be doubly warned about the dangers of alcohol ought to get all of our attention. But to justify the wicked for a reward is really another way of saying that what the wicked are doing is not really wicked. I'm not going to call what they're doing wicked because I'm getting some reward. Even worse than that is to praise the deeds of the wicked. No one, of course, in the media is called the atrocities of Hamas courageous or patriotic. Listen, those are evil deeds. Say, well, this is Israel's Pearl Harbor. No, this is worse. Hey, listen, in Pearl Harbor, uh, Japan attacked military targets. In this case, military people went in and butchered civilians. Just call it what it is. Remember, we don't call good evil. We don't call evil good. See, our culture today is filled with examples of people who despise what God has called good and right. And this third warning about handling the righteous and the wicked, it's really, it's just an extension 
of the warning from verse 20 where it says, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's really the same thing. And so just like we're double warned about the dangers of alcohol, we are also double warned about something we might actually take lightly, which is renaming or thinking differently about things than our Creator thinks about them. To think about good as being good, to think about evil as being good, uh, that God counts that as a big deal. I think most of us here this morning understand that our culture is increasingly looking at things in a manner we would consider to be backwards. To, in fact, in churches, they're increasingly supporting the opposite of what our Creator has taught us to be good and evil. Listen, changing what God calls things is not more loving. It is instead ignoring the warning of the God who loves us. On January 28, 1986, the Challenger space shuttle exploded over the skies in Florida. It was watched by millions, both live and on television. If you are familiar at all with the issue, the explosion was caused by ice forming around some of the space shuttle's O-rings, uh, O-rings that were used to separate the rocket boosters from the shuttle. Uh, they were warned before this happened. An engineer by the name of Bob Eveling, who worked for the company that produced the booster, warned them that extreme cold weather would prevent the O-rings from sealing properly and cause an explosion. He and another engineer requested the shuttle's launch be delayed until the weather was warmer. Initially, the delay was granted, but later dismissed by executives who were under pressure because of previous delays. When Bob complained, here's what the executive told him. The challenger was, quote, not his burden to bear. And despite his warning, 73 seconds after takeoff, the Challenger exploded, and $12 billion worth of parts and seven lives, including one school teacher who had been selected to be a part of that mission, they immediately lost their life because someone did not heed warnings from someone who knew what they were talking about. You and I have been warned about some things by our Creator. It's the only question that really remains is will you and I heed the warnings of the omnipotent, omniscient, and loving Savior who's trying to keep us from pain and sorrow and distress, or will we ignore them? And so what I'd like to do this morning for just a few moments is make some applications and observations about Isaiah's warnings. Please first go in your Bible to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Here's number one. We need to learn what our Creator calls things and build the good courage to call them what He calls them. We need to learn what our Creator calls things and build the good courage to call them what He calls them. Matthew 18, verse 11. Notice what Jesus says. He says, the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. 
See, we make a big deal of our culture swapping things like Christmas for holidays. And quite frankly, I don't let it bother me when somebody says happy holidays or takes the word Christmas off their card. Uh, I just say Merry Christmas. I feel bad for people who live in such fear of offending someone, and I feel bad for those who are so easily offended. But By the way, my Bible says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Man, I can't believe, there's people in here, and you're bent out of shape on all kinds of things. And though none of us should be easily offended, it is important that we grow to call things what God calls them. And our world and people are hurt when we call evil good and good evil. Notice here, he's going to call some things what he calls them. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. Notice people who did not yet believe are lost, and one of the purposes, in fact, the primary purpose for which Jesus came the first time was to save them. Saved and lost. See, see, we're all bent out of shape because people are calling people the wrong gender. Uh, l- listen, If you want to know what gender someone is, check their chromosomes. Don't check which swim team they're on. Don't check which bathroom they want to use. Check their chromosomes. See, we're all bent out of shape out of all all those things. And listen, there is a right and wrong in that issue, but you know, there's more important things than that. How about the word saved and lost? I mean, we're all been out of shape that children are warped by people trying to confuse them about their gender and people telling them that they're products of their environment instead of products of their choices. Listen, we're all been out of shape about all those things, but do you realize that there's a lot of people, they don't even use basic Bible terms anymore, like saved and lost. It bothers me when the world misdefines things. But it bothers me way, way, way more when someone who calls themselves Christian, whether they are or not, is between them and God. But it bothers me when someone who calls himself Christian refuses to call things what God calls them. Timothy Aarons claims to be a Christian and a pastor. He recently supported issue one in Ohio, which made it legal to kill babies in their mother's womb all the way up to the 40th week. In a commercial, he said this, quote, this is a pastor. As a pastor, I've counseled families on most important personal decisions, even abortion. Abortion is a private family decision. Government needs to stay out of family decision making. Listen, that man's going to have a lot of blood in his hands when he faces Christ. And by the way, the government should stay out of family decisions. But it's not a family decision when it's murder one day after it passes through the birth canal and legal one day before that happens. That's not a family decision. That's ungodliness. And unfortunately, we're very familiar with 
all the things being called evil that are good in our culture and good evil in our culture, and we're far less familiar with what's going on amongst those who name Christ. You know, some people, they don't anymore even use the word saved and lost. He said, well, people don't like to come to church and have someone tell them they're lost. They wouldn't have liked Jesus. Listen, uh, those who have humbly repented of their sins to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive and save them, they're saved. It's a Bible word. Just like born again, it's a Bible word. Receiving Christ, a Bible phrase. Uh, you and I, we need to call good words and good phrases good and stick with them, not be backed in a corner and fear them. There's a lot of things that have gone out of favor. Listen, you could go places called churches for weeks and never hear anyone say the word repent. Though repentance was John the Baptist's first message, it was Jesus' first message, it was Peter's first message to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, it was Paul's message to the Gentiles in Athens in Acts chapter 17, and throughout the book of Acts. How is it that word is now supposed to be absent? When Jesus commissioned his church in Luke 24, he said repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name throughout the whole world. Go back a few pages to Matthew 11. It's also fallen out of favor to mention hell or judgment. You could go some places called churches, you could go for months and never hear them mention hell. You could go for months and never hear them warn anyone of the day of judgment. Listen, whoever you are, whether you're here this morning or listen to my voice in some other form, you will give account of yourself to God, as will I. Notice in contrast to those words falling out of favor in Matthew 11, verse 22, Jesus says, but I say Unto you it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. If the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Well, I don't know if you grasp the weight of that last statement. On the day of judgment, you would have been better to have been a practicing homosexual in Sodom than to have all the knowledge of Jesus of Nazareth that people had in that city and reject him. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're lost, it is a huge deal if you walk out of here lost. Christ came to forgive and save you. He wants you to be saved. And though that terminology may not be popular in, in our world today, I understand it's biblical terminology. And it matters a lot. 
Our world despises this message that salvation is by grace through faith, that the real reason we're here this morning is not to change society's uh, politics. We're not here to uh, be social activists, although we ought to be good in our world. The real reason we're here is to be gospel witnesses to our world, to take Jesus Christ and his shed blood and death and resurrection to a world that is lost. Our world despises a creator who made men and women in the beginning and who treat his written words as the final authority. Turn up a few pages to Matthew 19. The religious leaders had a question for Jesus. It was not a sincere question so much as they were hoping to trap him in a political and religious argument of the day, which was, What are good reasons to divorce someone? And there was one camp who thought a man ought to be able to divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever, even if it was small, she burned the biscuits. And there's another camp who said, no, it needed to be more serious than that, which basically means neither camp were founded in the Scriptures. And they wanted Jesus in the middle of this, and I want you to notice that though Jesus is the Son of God, and though that every word he spoke was the Word of God, he's going to use the Scriptures as the authority for what he's about to say. He's going to use an authority that all of us have instead of authority that only he had. John, I'm sorry, Matthew 19, verse 1. came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee, came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan, Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered, and he said unto them, Have ye not read? Notice what he made his authority. Something they could hold in their hands and read. Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? God is a creator. God made them men and women. They didn't choose their gender afterwards. Verse 5, and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, they twain shall be one flesh, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man uh, put asunder. Hey, listen, you are not an evolutionary accident. If evolution is true, there is no right or wrong. If evolution is true, there is no day of judgment where each of us give an account of ourselves. If evolution is true, there is no life after this, de- uh, after this life in this broken place. What a terrible and hopeless lie that has been propagated on this culture. Listen, the Bible is not some antiquated book of myths and fictional stories If we call the Bible what God calls it, we call it the Word of God. We call it light in the midst of darkness. We call it inspired. We call it preserved. We call it life. Richard Dawkins is a noted and outspoken atheist. Here's what he said of the Gospels. Quote, early recruits to the young religion of Christianity were eager to pass on stories and rumors about Jesus without checking them for truth. And what I will say is he, professing himself to be wise, became a fool. 
the world calls the virgin birth of Jesus and the resurrection a myth. It is a historical fact. The world calls the miracles of Jesus fiction. But woe to those who call light darkness and put bitter in for sweet. And though the world despises the narrow message that Jesus is the only way to the Father, calling good evil doesn't change the truth. I could give example after example. But if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you're lost. You say, I don't believe it. You think what you believe or I believe changes the truth? (laughs) Uh, No. If you're not saved, you're lost. Why wouldn't you this morning come to Jesus? He loves you died for you, rose again from the dead for you. Maybe this morning you're saved and you've been careless, calling things something other than what our Savior calls them. Would you this morning pray for mercy and forgiveness and good courage? We've been clearly warned about the woe that results from calling things something different than our God calls them, but it's not just that we need to learn what our Savior calls things and find the good courage to call them that. Secondly, and lastly this morning, go in your Bible to Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12. Here's number two, and lastly. We need to build a healthy view of ourselves and what we really know. We need to build a healthy view of ourselves and what we really know. You may remember Isaiah's warning. Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes, prudent in their own sight. You know, one of the most difficult aspects of life and being truly wise is to see ourselves clearly. Honestly and fairly see what's good. Give ourselves credit. Think good and well where we ought. And to honestly consider the parts of our life that are not right, that need to be better, that need to be changed and fixed. See, the only way we can have a healthy view of ourselves is to know who we really are. See ourselves as God sees us. Notice in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15, remember that key phrase, it says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. He that hearketh unto counsel is wise. See, a fool doesn't get any counsel because he's already right in his own eyes. (laughs) Turn up a page or two to chapter 16, verse 2. So what are you doing this morning? I'm just preaching the Bible. Chapter 16, verse 2. He says, all the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the Spirit. Hey, listen, until someone brings the Bible to somebody, they don't really clearly understand that it was really only Jesus who was perfect. They need something for the sins in their life called forgiveness. Turn up a few pages to chapter 21 in Proverbs. Verse 2 of Proverbs 21, it says, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. 
Hey, listen. Everybody thinks they're doing just fine until they're exposed to the truth of God. It's a hard thing to make this transition from doing what's right in our own eyes, looking at ourselves with our own eyes, and instead looking at our world and what's right and wrong and in ourselves as God looks at us. You see yourself clearly this morning. You may think your life is a waste, but hear me, you are loved by your creator. He has a plan for you in Christ. You may think your past so bad that you have no future, but our Savior is well able to wash your sins away and start you anew. You may think your success in life will bring you peace, but unless you live for Jesus Christ, the peace you seek will never be found. You may think you're better and smarter than everyone here, but God has a way of humbling the proud. Most of you wouldn't remember it, but when I was a kid, there was a cartoon that took place in Jellystone Park. Ranger Smith, Yogi, and Boo Boo the baby bear. Yogi's mission in life was stealing picnic baskets. And he used to say to Boo Boo all the time, I'm smarter than the average bear. From surveys, they say that 65% of people say they're smarter than average which basically means there's a lot of people who are not as smart as they think they are. According to surveys, they say that 47% of Americans say they're religious and 33% claim that they're spiritual but not religious, which means 80% of Americans are walking around thinking that they have no problem with them and God for one reason or another. The problem is, Jesus said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way to life and few there be that find it. And so what that means is I'm either going to believe Jesus or most Americans' high assessment of themselves. You and I have been warned not to think too highly and not to think too little of ourselves. Will you heed the warning? Will you heed the warning? You quietly stand.